You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Peter B. Gillis, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, this is the Epic Marvel Podcast. My name is Curtis Findley, and today we have an interview with Peter B. Gillis. Peter B. Gillis is a comic book writer. Uh, he's written for a number of different companies, but since this is a Marvel podcast, I'll highlight some of his Marvel work, Doctor Strange, Micronauts, Eternals, and uh, this is primarily stuff through the 80s. And today in particular, we're going to be talking about What If. Uh, He did a number of the issues for the very first volume of What If in the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, we're going to be going kind of one by one through every single issue that he wrote, trying to get a little bit of the behind the scenes as what it was to, to come up with these ideas. It is a fascinating conversation. Peter's a great guy to talk to, and uh, you'll want to make sure that you check out his Facebook page and his website, which we talk about at the end of this episode, uh, in order to see what he's up to today. And you can follow me on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter and on YouTube if you look for Epic Marvel Podcast. And I also have an Epic Collection Facebook page if you are interested in Marvel's Epic Collection trade paperbacks. Uh, We discuss those all day, every day. So just search for Epic Collections on Facebook. And I think that's all for me. I'll hand it over to myself as I interview Peter B. Gillis. My first question for you, Peter, is uh, had you been familiar with What If before you jumped on to your first issue, which was issue number 18? Yes, yes, I was... uh, I was definitely interested. I was reading all of them. You know, it was Roy Thomas's baby uh, for a while, and it ranged from wonderful to Sergeant Fury. (laughs) Outer space, yeah, right. And, you know, and the Avengers of the 1950s, you know, these were, I know, you know, kind of Roy's hobby horses at that point. Yeah. They were fun, but uh, when Mark Grunewald and Denny O'Neill took over the book, um, since I knew both of them, I started. I was saying, "Hey, can I work on this?" So, okay, so you asked them uh, because of your interest in the title. Mm-hmm. Yes. So when you started writing these issues, did you have a certain idea uh, of how you wanted to go? Like you mentioned, a couple of those past issues that maybe weren't as good or didn't really even follow the whole "what if" uh, mm-hmm. mandate as as particular. But did you have an idea in your mind how you wanted to do things? Yeah. Um, and it was pretty much, I will preface this by saying Mark Grunold and I were really close friends before we were professionals. And I worked on, I worked on his magazine Omniverse, which dealt with alternate realities. Mm, Okay. So I can tell you that Mark was not surprised that I, I came and wanted to do, (laughs) do stuff, but, um, I, I wanted to be true to the idea of divergent points and all of that. And, um, 
about the only thing that I came, came to, and I had talked to Mark about, you know, especially doing Doctor Strange, my favorite character. And I did suggest that I did suggest the artist, Tom Sutton. Okay. You know, because I'd really always wanted to work with him. So the, the first one that I did, I, I pitched the idea. And he said, fine, write it up. And this one is, Doctor. what if Doctor Strange had been a disciple of Dormammu? Right, right. Actually, that and the next one were kind of, had the same sort of basis, that both of these characters were not actually really nice guys to begin with, um, or, you know, necessarily superhero material, but they made the choice. And I, you know, and I uh, went with Doctor Strange saying, what if he made the wrong choice? Mm-hmm. Remain the, you know, the asshole surgeon that he had been when the choice was offered to him. Right. Um, and with Peter Parker, it was, well, what if he made, to a certain extent, the right choice for the wrong reason? Let me stop the burglar. Um, I, I mean, the guy lifting the till at the uh, thing and said, I can make more money out of this. I can, you know, the publicity would be great and so forth. And he goes down that path. And they, the two are kind of similar, but very different in, in tone. So, yeah. Anyway. Well, what I noticed about the, the Doctor Strange story is that once you get to the end of the story, the Doctor Strange that we know and love from the mainstream reality uh, ends up being present at the end. Uh, mm-hmm. like, like that comes through. But for Spider-Man, that, that doesn't quite happen. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it would be a lo- it would be a long path for him to get to be the person. You know, I mean, he had, uh, doc- you know, Doctor Strange um, was he was an evil magician. Goes to the the good Peter Parker. Potentially, he st- he still has the spider powers, and he's and he's now remorseful and has learned you know has learned a lesson. Um, so it's not beyond the realm of possibility that he would do it. Uh, that he would then devote his life to to doing good. And I, you know, I did think about this, and we, uh, because yeah, there, you know, there was the talk of maybe doing a sequel to it, um, and saying, yeah, but he's a movie producer; he's not going to go fight street crime. <laughs> yeah. You know, he may become a a nice movie star, right? You know, you know, use his millions for good or something like that. But would he become the Spider-Man who? Uh, well, he ends up fighting um, all, all of his old foes, which. Kind of you know self indulgent but kind of <laughs> obvious um, redoing Spider Man Annual Number One yeah um, but yeah he he at least turns you know turns in the right direction um, so they, you know they're ultimately good stories but they go through an awful lot of um, you know an awful lot of each book is wait wait this is our hero no he's not you know? right um, yeah. What I like about uh, the way you approach your what-if stories, and it's especially evident, I think, in these first first two issues, is that you have such a knowledge of the background of these characters and the the chronology of how events still, like, uh, how they originally played out, and they still play out uh, through these, these issues, like the Spider-Man issue. You hit all of the kind of the main points in that first year of of Lee and Ditko's Amazing Spider-Man. It still happens, mm-hmm. and and I like that because then it gives us like we feel like insiders, like we know the the secrets that are going on, um, but we still don't know where the story's going. So, are you have you been a big were you a big Marvel reader just in general at that time, or did you have to do a lot of research? I was I I was absolutely. 
you know, absolutely a Marvel zombie. Yeah. You know, I had I had a vast collection. Nice. I had something of an encyclopedic knowledge of, well, now what they call the Silver Age. Yeah. With Doctor Strange as well, as well when you had the circle of the of the good mystics, mm-hmm. I, um, I kind of made sure, you know, tried to go and cover all the bases. <laughs> you sure did. <laughs> yeah. I was going to mention that, too, because you pull out some pretty obscure characters there. Mm-hmm. And that was the fun. And that kind of reflects my uh, my omniverse background. Yeah, so. for sure. Well, that's great. So. Uh, the next issue that you got to do after the Spider-Man issue was uh, what if the Hulk, or what if Jarrell had not died? And they, on the cover it says, what if Hulk had become a bit barbarian, which is kind of like a... <laughs> trying to capitalize on the Conan popularity at the time, I think. Uh, I think so. Well, I really enjoyed doing it. I I had my revenge also there because this was also, I really felt that the way Len Wein had killed off Jarella was stupid and gratuitous. And, you know, we, should, we shouldn't kill off girlfriends, you know? Um, it was, I, I understood the necessity because it would have changed the, the book completely. But I said, let's do, you know, I, I, I want to do that. But the cover, you know, John Dracema strikes again. No kidding. So good. And that's what everybody remembers, that cover. <laughs> and <laughs> that turned into Marvel continuity. Right. Scar. Yeah. You know, everybody loved that cover so much. And, and you know, I, I had a wonderful time working with Herb Trimpey, who I always felt was the, you know, the Hulk artist. Mm-hmm. A lot of things Sal Buscema is, and he did a wonderful job. But uh, Herb, to me, being the reader that I, that I was of the, at that point, was was the Hulk artist. Yeah. So, uh, it was really nice just to see, like you said, to see Jarella and Hulk have a, a life together more than just beyond a few a few issues that mm-hmm. we had known before. Um, did you get pushback at all for any of your stories from editorial? Or like, did they say, eh, that's not really a story we want to tell? Um, pretty much no. I was very eager and, and I might, you know, I, I was interested in doing more, but Mark, you know, said, well, well, look, we're jumping along here, but um, I want to give some other people a chance. Come on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I go, okay, no problem. You know, and it, and I, I really came back to it when Ralph Macchio took over the uh, editorship. So, right. Uh, I, well, I didn't quite leave because I, I did like the book. I, you know, uh, Mark did give me the, some of the, ta- well, the tales of the Marvel universe, a couple of episodes that in the back. Right. Well, which was another complete fanboy thing because having read Thor and when Tales of Asgard stopped, they put it, you know, they put they in did the Inhumans. Yeah. Jack's, Jack's favorite concepts, the Inhumans. And they said, the search for the great refuge coming soon. And that was the last episode. And they went to book length stories. And I said, God damn it. Marvel, you know, Marvel promised them this story. And Ron and I are going to give it to him. That's amazing. That's amazing that you you got to finish that. That's great. Did you have any notes from the, the Lee Kirby era to go? Or was this a completely new uh, direction that like you, you came up with this, this story here? Um, we came up with a story. I thought about it. And and it you know it became kind of problematic of just mo- you know just moving to another location, but um, could have been possible. But uh, Doug Vench in his Inhumans had these you know these tunnels and burrows underneath the Great Refuge that had been there. You know, and if the Great Refuge was only twenty years old, being you know or or thirty years old, you know, uh, yeah. where would they come from? Right. You know, so I said no. They they moved they moved the whole island. <laughs> and which, you know, which sounds like something that, that, you know, Stan and Jack would uh, be, be good with. 
Oh, for sure. And we included the Eternals, who at that point were not even the twinkle in uh, Jack's eye. So, But we did that. And Ron, while definitely doing a Kirby-esque thing, and, uh, you know, Joe Sinnott didn't hurt. Yeah, of course. Really didn't swipe much of anything, except, like, the picture of Adeline. So, I was, you know, he was he was jazzed to work, and I, I loved working with, with Ron. Oh, great, yeah. And, that, you know, and, and beyond that, actually, I did another one, but that also, they stopped doing backups. And it went ended up in a Thor annual. Me and Rich Howell doing like the Inhumans and the origin of the island in the sky, which was kind of a logical step, saying that they'd done this before, and yeah. that the island in the sky was populated by Inhumans, and that was also the origin of the Red Raven, one of Marvel's first Golden Age characters. Yeah, so that right. was all. You know, when well, Ralph took over. Ralph and I had a very good relationship, and that's when I just started throwing him idea after idea after idea and he kept buying all of them so so let's step back a little bit here uh we'll get to the macchio issues in a second but you have one more story that you did under grunwald and that was thor battled odin over jane foster yes an epic epic tale (laughs) Uh, yeah you said you were a thor fan just a second ago and i can see through this one and the other thor issue that you do that uh you really do love the mythology and the the just the epic nature of uh, of the storytelling (laughs) they're they're pretty wild yeah yep the other thing and that was you know there was there was a sort of a duality between the hulk and the thor one is i was undergoing another uh development in which women were treated badly right and that was you know, Jane Foster becomes an immortal. And, you know, it's sort of like, hi there, you have immortality. Now fight this horrible monster. What? (laughs) I don't want to. Oh, well, that's just, you're not, you know, and it's like, and and anybody would go, I I mean, once again, we knew that they, they were writing the character out, you know, but it's sort of like, that's so unfair. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it is. I, you know, you, you, she's had her power, you know, she has the power of flight. Oh, good. That helps against the big monster. <laughs> you know, helps her to run away, you know, but, um, and, and she's had the power for about an hour. And okay, now you have to fight the, the, the unknown, you know, um, you know, the, the, the creepy thing that Asgardians run away from. Right. And I, you know, as, as, as a fan, I read that, I go, what? Yeah, just set up to fail. <laughs> So so I said, here's the what if story as if, you know, if Thor acted the way he should have and said, what are you doing? Right. You know, oh, you're trying to get rid of her and I won't stand for it. (laughs) Wow. uh, So I was really happy to work with Rich Buckler on it. And I did suggest another friend of mine, uh, Dave Simons, who was not getting all that much work, which was which was insane because he was so good and together they did an unbelievable job. So. They sure did. Yeah, the 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 artwork is just fantastic in the, these issues. The um yeah, I'd never heard of Dave Simons before, but he definitely has a a great grasp on his uh, his style, his inking. Well, yeah. very moody. Yeah. I was just a freelancer, but you know, when I, when I met somebody I I liked, you know, because sometimes it's as I knew well, it's difficult to break through a barrier. Yeah. Not to say, you know, not to say that it wouldn't have happened anyway, but um, Mark Silvestri, who is a fellow Chicagoan, um, you know, everybody knows how good he is now. Yeah. You know, um, long run on the X-Men and the image and everything. But he was stuck doing, you know, Conan the King, which was, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of like, you're, you're, you know, and we knew that you don't necessarily get out of 
the the Conan the Barbarian ghetto, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> heroes because they're going, what he's doing? So, you know, um, and one of the things I did, now this is going a little far afield from your idea, but That's okay. I, was, I was doing Warp for first comics, and we were doing Warp specials in between the adaptation of the plays. And the, you know, the first one was with Howard Chaikin, and that's another big story. But yeah. um, the second one, we had Mark Silvestri do it. And I actually sort of harassed Jim Shooter. He was at a convention in Chicago, and I'm going, you know, I went up to him and go, use this guy. He's so good, you know. Yeah, nice. So I can't take credit for it, but that's what I intended to do if I say, look, this guy is not being used. And especially, you know, for, for what if, um, it's a nice, big, long story. And, um, you know, um, and Dave certainly had the chance to show his chops there. So, it, you know, it, it turned out really nicely. That Yeah, it so. sure did. And I'm glad that you had a good relationship with your, your editors as well, that they would listen to your recommendations also. So that's good. Yeah. You know, people have asked me, you know, with with the, with the Macchio stuff, you know, did you become the uh, the regular writer on, you know, what if were you assigned that? And I go, no, no, not in the least. I just, you know, Ralph, Ralph and I used to hang out together, and it, it, it's like I was full of ideas, and he goes, that's great, let's do it. So it was just kind of a coincidence that you did those last seven or eight issues in a row? Yeah, well... A semi coincidence in that other people are coming up with ideas, and Ralph goes, "That stinks. Go away." <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ralph was like that, and uh, mine mine didn't stink. So anyway, that that that's really that's really all there was to it. So. Well, that's good. Your your first story for uh, Ralph was uh, Doctor Strange. What if Doctor Strange had never become the master of mystic arts? Baron Mordo yeah. does instead. What a great story yeah. here as well. And amazing stuff from Butch Geis also. Which was really one of his first first jobs at Marvel. Wow. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. He sure came through the gate kicking, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, it, he, he did it. And one of the funny things about it is that um, every, the, the, the pages were coming into Ralph's office and everybody around, everybody in the, you know, in the office were going and looking at, holy crap, this is incredible. Good. Who is this guy? You know? And halfway through the book, you see um, you, you see a background poster saying, you know, for sale, Avengers Annual, Mantlo and Geis. <laughs> In the middle of the book, he, he started to catch fire at Marvel. So, nice. you know, I, I never, you know, I, I never worked with him again uh, because he just got way too popular. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's amazing. And that Mike, and I have to say that Michael Golden cover summed up everything I wanted to do with the book, and I know it just got you know got people buying the book. Yeah, with uh, with Mordo in Doctor Strange's garb. You know? So great. Well, and all the the red is so striking on there. Uh, yeah, brilliant cover. Uh, this the story itself is quite fun as well because uh, you get to see it's kind of like your other one where Doctor Strange remained the same uh, surgeon as he was before. But you, I love the way you interweave his regular life with kind of the mystic stuff that's going on. He just can't help but be in that in those circles. Yeah, and uh, I also got to do and here's here's another secret behind the comics. When I got the regular book and I got it handed over to me from Roger Stern. Roger is also you know, also a friend. And, you know, one of the things that we said, but we never established in the book is that Dr. Strange is about 90 years old. And, uh, you know, and one of the reasons he feels detached from the other characters is that gap. Right. And uh, also establishing that the training that, that the 
Strange, if one gives Doctor Strange, lasts about 25 years. Now, we never established that, you know, we just sort of agreed on it and we said, this helps give a, you know, give a sense to the um, the character and also um, doesn't do the thing that, you know, hi there, uh, wham, you're a master of the mystic arts. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Takes a panel, you know, and in the movie, he kind of becomes it very, very quickly. It is so, very fast, yeah. But but the one thing that I was able to do is have Doctor Strange, you know, you know no longer master of the mystic arts as a professor teaching the young don blake yeah that's very cool so you know so i'd say yeah no uh strange strange and blake were not com- you know uh, compatriots they you know he you know strange is of a previous generation but not blake yeah so i managed to do that um and uh so but you know and and again you know saying this is this is who uh you know and um so it, it you know it it did work it did work out pretty well yeah so. Now, there's a lot of stuff in the artwork that uh, that Butch does with um, all all of the the mystic energy, the symbol, the symbols, and the lines that are coming out the blue and the pink. Uh, did you give any instruction to Butch at all about the visuals, or did you leave that completely up to him? I, I left that up to him. I left. I, I did. This is what happens. They have a mystical battle, and then he he does that all the while. It's just it's yeah. just striking. I love it. Right. Well, what happened is uh, Michael Golden when he took, did the Micronauts, yeah, color holds, which is what the you know what what those are, were not done at Marvel because it cost extra money at the printer. Right. But Golden says, you know, who was very, you know, very expert in all those printing techniques, you know, said, okay, it costs more money. How much? And the answer came back, $3 a page. Wow. And Michael said, Jesus Christ, I'll, I'll pay that $3 if I can use the color hole. <laughs> so it, as it turned out, you know, people go, yeah, you know, we, we can use color holes, you know, but they were being held back by a tradition that Michael sort of blew through and um, um, Butch, uh, you know, took took full advantage of that. He sure did. Yeah, that's great. It makes it's such a it makes just such a difference looking at it because it's like a um, it looks special. It looks like some uh, more effort has been put into this book than normal. <laughs> right. It's it, it was special and it was different than than Ditko. Yes, so, that's true. Yeah. You know, that was very nice. Yeah. Couldn't have been happier with that one. So the next issue in here is one of my favorite what if issues in the whole run. What if the invisible girl had died? Mm-hmm. What an incredible one this one is. I and I love especially the funeral scene. It's it, it just when I was reading this, it's like it just uh, blew my mind. Like you're writing, uh, you have the characters down so well, um, mm-hmm. yeah. and I and I just love it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say otherwise. I regard that as one of the best single issues of anything I've ever done. Oh wow! So, yeah. Ron Friends, you know, who I worked with again, we did, you know, um, it was it worked so well. He, you know, he was as much steeped in the mythology as I was. And, yeah. And he was also sensitive to, you know, exactly what was going on. And then we got Joseph, you know, so. Just the icing on the cake there. Right. Both of us said, you know, and we had both been working for quite a while at Marvel. We, we, we finally done a Marvel comic. <laughs> And it was again more like the third time. I, you know, and, and it wasn't that, but it was um, my feeling on the Fantastic Four as a family, which everybody knows that. But I was making that point really kind of early on. Um, but that, and that Sue was the center of gravity of the family, and yeah. she was what Fantastic Four together, especially you know. And and a little digression here. Uh, I hope you won't mind. Of course. But yeah. But the thing. 
thing that I loved about the Fantastic Four, and specifically what Stan was doing on the Fantastic Four, was at the at the outset of the Fantastic Four, it was very brittle. You know, Reed was more standoffish, and the, the thing was, you know, went into rages all the time. And Johnny Starr was kind of an asshole, you know. <laughs> yeah. And slowly, slowly, that all settled down. You know, I mean, the thing still hated what his life was, and but the torch matured and you know and and then calmed down and reed got humanized and all of that i'm you know my thesis was all of that was due to sue Mm, yeah and breaking that center was was a powerful thing i wanted it you know and i've always wanted to treat death with respect but it also showed that you know it 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 nearly broke every one of the fantastic four and it did break yeah it's yeah it's so great the 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 progression it's so extreme but yet feels so natural like yes of course this is how reed would react to something like this you know and the response was kind of overwhelming you know oh, good and in a good way <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um you know um it, it it was kind of like wait um as somebody put and I, it wasn't the only one but somebody put in a letter going how is it that these two guys wrote the best fantastic four story in the last 10 years you know <laughs> yeah and i go, I go well you know and um, so, but, uh, but it was, uh, you know, so, so it was definitely heartfelt and it was, you know, it was great that when I said, Willie Lumpkin attends the funeral, uh, Ron, you know, just, you know, just drew <laughs> yep. and, and the fact that I decided, you know, to have the Submariner shows up, you know, does not show up at the funeral in his Speedos, <laughs> <laughs> yes. but uses, but uses that, you know, uses that, you know, uses the, um, kind of infamous costume as a costume of mourning in state, you know, which... Uh, it fits so well, um, yeah. And, and, but strips down to his speedos immediately afterwards. <laughs> That's right. The very next page. Um, this this funeral scene, I want to go back to this because it's definitely stands out to me as, as the highlight of this issue just because of the emotional weight to it. Um, I love the way that Run has, has set up uh, the nine panel grids with the the middle the middle column with like the the reactions of the crowd or the people who are attending and such yeah. is that a Ron decision or did you suggest that, this as well? I I wrote in in the plot and I tend to write big plots, but you know I I wrote I wrote the entire ceremony out but left the layout to Ron. Okay, wow, it it worked so well. All all of the dialogue came first. Okay. So yeah, that's unusual uh, for yeah. Marvel. So at least. well, you know, I, I I realize you know I realized that this had to be good, and the fact that you know we used upper and lowercase lettering that wasn't my decision either. That that was Ralph's, but it wasn't just sort of like uh, I didn't write. Well, the thing makes a speech, and the torch makes a speech, and and Reed makes a speech, and Reed's speech was weird. And, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's all you know, that was all written out because it had to. Be I had to let P, let Ron know exactly what was going on. No, that's perfect because then he knows the pacing of of all of it. Like he can appropriately map out the yeah. layout. Yeah, it, it's just so great. And I love. I mentioned this before. Like you have you have such a good handle on the voice of these characters. So, so their individual speeches are so true to who who they are. Um, it doesn't. They don't feel out of place at all. It's really great. 
Let's move on to the next issue. What if Conan the Barbarian were stranded in the 20th century? Um, another fantastic issue that I, I absolutely loved. And of course, I love the, the first one as well that Roy did. And this one yeah. building on top of that is just uh, what a wild ride it is. And I remember after the reading in the letter pages after the first story was printed that it's something along the lines of uh, if there ever is a sequel it will be against Roy's highest protests or something like that. <laughs> so yeah, I wanted to know did what did Roy and Dan think about you revisiting this this story? You know, they were polite. I know they didn't particularly like it. Okay, uh, but I you know I did want to make a point with it that. The, the, the thing the thing that I didn't quite like was Conan as completely bamboozled by the 20th century. Okay. And, you know, as I laid out to, to Ralph, Conan probably knows 11 languages. He's, you know, he, he's been in, you know, all sorts of different cities, all sorts of different cultures, you know, from the Hyborian, he's dealt, and, and he's, he's extremely smart. He's yeah. led art and, um, and that sort of thing. And naturally in 24 hours, he would be startled by it. But if he, you know, if he was stuck there very quickly, he would figure out how to do it. And he would do what he usually does, become a thief or a mercenary or, uh, you know, or a gang leader. Right. And uh, that, to me, was really the Robert E. Howard Conan that makes it different from the bewildered savage. Tarzan's New York adventure, you know, it was, you know, that I, I felt that's not Conan. You know, Conan is, you know, not given a chance in the comics to be that smart. Although, you know, when you adapt the, the, the Howard comics, he's very smart. You know, the, the Howard stories, he's very smart. Right. And he's also not ethical. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to, you know, bring bring that out. He's noble in a way, and and you know, Captain America pegs him pretty well. And the Conan versus Captain America, sword versus shield, was was, was was irresistible. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but so was you know Conan showing up at you know Dan's doorstep dressed out like a pimp with a totally. with a you know, with a leopard on his leash and all of that um, because you know that's where he's going to gravitate to. Yeah. So it was in fact, kind of a criticism of Roy's, but, you know, I I didn't say your story stunk. And of course, he had 24 hours and that worked out, you know, that worked out fine. I can't really fault the story except that, you know, if he had been there longer, you know, this is Conan as I saw him. So. Oh, totally. Yeah, it doesn't diminish the previous story at all. It just expands on um, on the concept. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and this, yeah, just this fight at the end with Cap and Conan is like, no, I don't think this is the only time you'd ever be able to get away with that. So, uh, so it's like, might as well do it, right? <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's, it is my only Conan story for Marvel. So, yeah. Uh, and uh, but it made, you know, but it made me happy for that to have been. Um, I'm not sure I would have done Conan, you know, like properly. Regular, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, well, I would have given it my shot, but that that was not being offered to me anyway. So, right. But and by the way, um, I just got a one of the Marvel reprints um, of What If, you know, the What If Complete, I think. Yep. That finally reprints that story. Yeah, that's what I've the, been reading the through. Marvel franchise in previous, uh, you know, pre previous treasuries and that sort of thing doesn't appear. Until Marvel got Conan back, um, Disney Marvel got Conan back, um, and now it's in there. So the latest issue is the first reprinting of that story in probably 30 years. Fantastic. So. <laughs> 
and it's great that it's accessible now for people to uh, to enjoy. That's great. Okay, uh, the next one here is another one of my favorite issues in What If. What if Captain America were revived today? What a mind-blowing story this is. I just absolutely love it. And reading it, um, you know, in the era that we <laughs> have been in for the last few years is just, uh, um, it rings true. It, it's just a fantastic story. Right. That, well, that last speech is getting reprinted all, you know, on, on Facebook, et cetera, being yeah. all over the place. Yeah, I've seen it pop up a bunch of times. People are tagging you in it all the time. I wish it weren't as relevant as it is today, but yeah. it worked out really wonderfully. Um, the, the one thing, of course, that I realized, well, that as the way it turned out, uh, because it you know showed up in 1984, and if we, had, you know, because this was not really put on the schedule and we did not know exactly when it was going to come out, we could have called it, what if Captain America had not been revived until 1984? Ah, right. And that would have been, you know, that would have been a very cool title. Uh, but as it did, as, as it was, it worked out the way I, the way I hoped. My old friend Davis Hyman's on Inks. Oh yeah, uh, you know, and uh, and I'd worked with Sal on a number of things, and uh, he did not fail me at all. You know, and, uh, yeah, I I love that last. I love how at the very end you just end on the flag. Like it's there's no the end or there's no uh, coming next time little box at the bottom or it's just it's so uh, it's such a perfect captivating mm-hmm. ending. It's like just let's just let's just end on that. Yeah. Well, you know, um, similarly. Because you usually have the watcher show up, you know, and right. Oh, yeah, that's right. He doesn't show up at the end here to to close things off. He does in 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 the Invisible Girl story. You know, we were just pounding ahead on it, and then we realized that no, no, we don't have any space for the watcher to come and show. <laughs> so he just shows up in the background on the last panel. That's on the right. Last you know, and <laughs> yeah. nobody's alive. So, uh, but wow. yeah, it it was you know, and and why did not the why did the watcher? It wasn't artistic, except in the fact that we ran out of space you know? <laughs> okay <laughs> no it worked to its benefit i think like you don't need to go back to that that theme it, it was a great ending yep. um what if hulk went berserk here's another fun issue that is kind of just a huge smash fest all the way through and it's just like it's kind of a nice break after because when you read these complete collections uh, and you have yeah. all the issues all in a row, and you're just kind of plowing through them. You have like a th- really heavy issues, and then you get kind of you get this one, which is a nice change of pace. I like that. It started out as me going, "I really want to work with Ron Wilson." Okay, good. I want to work with Ron Wilson. Yeah. Oh, I, we should do a Hulk story, and and Ron was going, "Yeah, oh God, let's do a Hulk story." And um, that you know that wasn't immediate, and and then I said, "Okay, here's a really savage premise." Knowing the early history of the Hulk, because you know the Rick and the Hulk were you know com, you know connected telepathically, and you know that was the thing that was holding the Hulk back and keeping him from going completely berserk. And it, what happens if Rick died? And um, and you know it's a very, it's a very dark story in its you know alternative. That's true. Yeah, the implications. Oh, right, and um, because you know it's like this is not this is not a Hulk who is half human. This is a Hulk just completely out of control kills Iron Man yeah. you know, you know then Thor has to kill him you know that premise in and of itself might have been too dark to do a, a good what if there but um, you know but the fact is that you know that then Ron and I went to town and it's like yeah yeah a whole throwing ICBMs at people <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> 
yeah, that's what you, you know, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, so just fantastic. Yeah, Ron Wilson really uh, brought it home for this. It just uh, and that yeah. the the snap at the end, um, so so brutal, and it's just what a great yeah. great ending there. Yeah. Uh, and then the next issue here, Spider Man. What if Spider Man's Uncle Ben had lived? You re well, first of all, you get to work with Ron Friends again. And yep. this is another instance of kind of revisiting almost the same story as uh, the other Spider-Man issue you did. Uncle Ben doesn't die both times, but mm-hmm. they go in so completely different directions. Yeah, right. Again, I uh, I went to Ralph with this saying, you're going to think this is the stupidest, mo- you know, most pointless what if ever um, I- idea whatever if I tell you that it's what if the burglar had shot Aunt May instead of Uncle Ben. You know, he goes, yeah. well, yeah, he's right. Yeah, but um, one of the things that I, you know, thought, you know, that I noticed about the Lee Ditko Spider-Man especially um, was that, you know, Spider-Man is a, was a strip without a father, without a powerful male influence. Right. And actually, you know, to, to be kind of literary about it, J. Jonah Jameson is the father in Spider-Man, in the early Spider-Man story. Okay. You know, he is bad father, but he supplies the money yeah, that they can true. live. <laughs> you know, um, you know, um, Parker is trying to get his approval and try, you know, trying to get his validation from Jameson, who won't give it. And in fact, you know, is sabotaging, you know, uh, Parker's self-image throughout the whole. And it was less of what if one foster parent had died rather than the other, but what if Spider-Man had a father, you know, a positive authority figure. Now, you know, I had to make up Uncle Ben's, um, you know, personality from whole cloth. You know, he didn't have any. Right, um, yeah. In- Canon, but saying while he was perpetually able to fool Aunt May, you know, with with a canny, smart Uncle Ben, and you know, my justification for this is his brother was a CIA agent, you know, so he, he can't be that. He can't be just an idiot, you know. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's sort of like no, he finds the, you know, he finds the uh, the costume right away, and, and the story progresses from there. Um, and uh, you know, so that you know that was you know it's the virtue of that story is that he has guides and he has support and becomes a different character. Um, but also, it's not all you know, it's not all peaches and cream for him because, of course. Both Ben and uh, Jonah says, you know, Betty Brandt, her brother is, you know, and he's like, I won't believe it, you know, and they were right. Yeah. So, and working with Ron again was just wonderful. And uh, also, it was a, it was a what if that that ended nice. Yeah, that didn't happen very often. So it's nice to get yeah. that change of pace as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that you know that was fun. It also um, ultimately it it, it'll, it enabled me to get you know to do another story, sort of getting into Peter. Parker's personality is self, mm-hmm. you know, who he, at least who I thought, you know, who I think he, so, um, and the one thing I'm just particularly proud of in that issue is that one page, which is again, like Ron doing a nine, you know, nine panel grid of J. Jonah stewing over the predicament that Ben Parker is put, and, and Peter have put him in. Yes. And yeah, I'm going, I, you know, that's, that's J. Jonah Jameson. I got to do it, you know, almost a quintessential J. Jonah Jameson page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it worked really well. I, and again, just like with the Fantastic Four, like you, you know these characters so well that they that you've got all of their voices down so so perfectly, and their yeah. motivations, even if they aren't what you would expect them to be in the regular mainstream, like they still they're still consistent with who they are. Even Uncle yeah. Ben. Mm-hmm. 
No, I, I mean, you know, I wanted to make it credible. I, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to make him, you know, do something like make him a spy or something like that. Right, yeah. Know? Though it is, you know, it is odd enough that Ben, who is obviously the older brother of uh, of Richard Parker, yeah. you know, is just this guy and um, and and, um, and his and his younger brother worked for the CIA, got wrapped up in the Red Skull and all this. Yeah, it makes you think maybe James Bond's younger or older brother is just an accountant or something. Right, right. Yeah. You know, or yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's kind of like uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, you know, in Star Wars. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, my brother is, uh, you know, is a, you know, Jedi and a Sith Lord and, and you know, ruler of the Empire. And uh, well, me, I just decided to go into farming. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> just a lowly moisture farmer. Yeah, it's just sort of like, yeah, okay, uh, that 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 makes sense. No, actually, it doesn't. But, you know, anyway. but if if George could get away with it, you know, I well, I was I was going to say no. He, you know, he's he's just not, he, you know, he's not senile and he's not a he's not an idiot, and he loves his son, so his, uh, you know, his nephew. So the last issue of the first What If series here is Loki. What if Loki had found Thor's hammer? Yeah. Um, and another just epic story. I, and I love this concept. Like you explore the the afterlife of Asgard, which um, you, I mean, they do in the comics as well, but not, I think, to the, the same extent that you did in this issue here. Yeah. Well, they got close in some of my favorite, um, you know, Lee Kirby stuff. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, to me, when Thor just became the absolute best was the Man God story. Yeah. And what was leading up to it. And, you know, you had Thor 150 with you know Thor's you know Thor's spirit coming out of his body and uh so I you know so I I just went with that and um you know so yeah it was fun um in in retrospect you know I I mean and Kelly Jones is kind of not known for being his you know being Kirby-esque right you know especially not these days but we had been working together on the Micronauts under Ralph same editor you know and um and and Kelly you know Kelly was fast and enthusiastic and uh, yeah, um, oh, definitely, you know, definitely had a good time with that. And you know, less of a different Thor. And you know, if there was a little bit of revenge, it was sort of like, okay, well, you know, um, you know, Don Blake happens to be vacationing in Norway. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, right where the hammers. Now you can you, you can make a case for that. But the fact that the stone men from Saturn just happened happen to be to show up there too. <laughs> Yep. Um, you know, but that's comic books. I, you know, it is. Yeah. Did you know at the time that that was going to be the last issue of What If? Oh no, no, no. It was canceled we were, after that. Uh, it was canceled. It was canceled after that. If you read the letters page in issue forty-seven and in previous Treasuries, they 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 did. Um, you know, Ralph was saying, you know, the the nameless faces editorial blocks at the box at the end of the letters page that there there were all sorts of new things that were going to be done. There was going to be a stand what Silver Surfer what if, and I got I actually got well, you know, there was a complete um, Iron Man what if already in the can. Oh, okay, and that's what became the special. That's what became the special, and you know they had to publish it because you know they, it was done. It was done, and you know it was Steve Ditko, which was the thrill of a lifetime to work with Steve. I'm sure, you know, and um, and and so forth, and it sold so well that they had to revive it. But by then, I was on my way out the door uh, from from Marvel and comics. Yeah, uh, 
which is a which is a long story. But you know, it was like there were lots of unpleasantnesses working for for Marvel as well as wonderful things. And the wonderful things happened to be you know the creative work of actually doing the books. Right. The other stuff, not so much. And there was something that I was actually paid for. Um, I had done the plots, and it's it's announced in 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 the letters page. The two part X Men story. Two part X Men story. Me and Jerry Ordway. So tell and me more about that. Yeah. It would, you know, and oh God, I wish, you know, I mean, if I could change reality, it would be to you know, adjust that one so that I got to do it. Because, well, you know, I mean, Jerry wanted to work at Marvel and, you know, this was one of the things that he was looking forward to doing. And then everything sort of went sour for him and he was back at, you know, he was at DC. Yeah. Half of hell for him, you know, forever, you know. Uh, but, uh, no, it, it, and it was basically a what if Magneto had formed the, uh, the X-Men. Okay. And it never made it past the plot stage? Never made it past the plot stage, but it was expect you know, it was accepted and I got paid for. Oh, okay. Both, so. so you think Marvel has yeah. that in their file somewhere still? They might. I actually don't. So, oh that's too um, bad. Yeah. But uh, you know, that that would have been so good. <laughs> Yeah, and a, a two-part story too. Like that hadn't been done yet for what if? Yeah, right, right. And two-part, double-sized each time. Wow. Um, since I had broken it down, it had all sorts of epic potential in it. So, but um, yeah, you know, I, I can't, I, and I can't detail you the details. Cause no, I've, I've known most of them. Yeah. Um, well, let's. Uh, I would love to see them revive that and pull it out of their big filing cabinet and uh, give you another go. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know, after I left the business for a couple of years, I just did not read comics at all. I was involved in desktop publishing, um, you know, digital printing, which came out of my work with computers. And, um, you know, I was, I threw myself into that. Um, so I didn't really read any of the what ifs of the next series or much of anything out of Marvel for, for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, but they, but I knew they made, you know, they, I knew they made the decision not to redo Origins, which I thought was a mistake, except that I could understand their, you know, their their idea of, okay, how are we going to redo the origin now? You know? Oh, um, yeah. Because that made up a bulk of the the original stories was origin retelling. Yeah, you know, and, they, well, you know, and, um, you know, to have significant events that were strong enough beyond the origin doesn't always work. Right. Uh, I mean, what if the Avengers were Pawns of Korvac was one, I remember, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that was made, and, and, you know, you could do a what if the Secret Wars came out differently and the death of Phoenix, of course. But beyond that, you know, what if you say, you know, what if Atlantis attacks and turned out differently and they go, you know, nobody, you know, and, you know, cue it, you know, cue in the family guy. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, right. The few people who actually managed to buy all of those annuals would right, maybe right. be interested. Oh, you don't know how it turned out, actually. And, okay, you know, here I'm getting, <laughs> but, um, but you know, and the the idea with with what if for me was well, you know, I mean, to do sort of the elevator pitch version, it's let's do the best goddamn you know Doctor Strange story, Spider Man story, Hulk story ever, you know? right? And just by by saying not constrained by we can't do that because the Avengers are doing this, you know? Oh, for sure, um, yeah, and and so forth, and we just say no, you know, um, you know, Thor and Odin bust up, you know, uh, they die. Uh, etc. And so, you know, so you can take it to that breaking point. And who are these characters, if not their origins? And I'll point out that with a Stan's, you know, with a Stan and Jack or Stan and Steve origin, it gives them their emotional uh, life and their character. The way that 
Green Lantern meeting Abin Sur does not. Mm, right. You know, um, you know, Superman's kind of does, and Batman's kind of does, but Aquaman, you yeah, know, right. Green Arrow, um, even Wonder Woman, you know, it's sort of like, uh, well, you know, Wonder Woman, no, she just sort of decides to show up, um, you know, and but how these characters become, and very often involves, you know, a character change or, you know, a, a, a new depth. And a lot of people like, like Denny O'Neill over at DC, um, real, you know, really started to introduce that, but, you know, redoing, and of course, you know, with the imaginary stories, um, you know, actually some of the more interesting Superman stories were done that way, but not getting into who Superman is, you know, if he showed up at, at that time. So I wanted to get at who these characters were. And it was great because I got to do it outside of continuity and nobody was paying attention to nobody was saying you can't do that. Right. Um, I, I know that both Mark and Ralph would have if I if I didn't, you know, have like the sheaf of, you see, on page 12 of issue 36 of Tales to Astonish, you know. So. <laughs> so were there any stories that you would have liked to do other than the X-Men one that you would have liked to do that you never got a chance to? Or can you also tell me any of the ones that uh, got rejected? Um, I, I can say that I didn't get any rejected. Okay. Um, well, that's great. You know, um, but um, you know, I, I did self censor. I came up with one uh, a bit after I left because I you know, didn't quite stop thinking about it. Of yet another Spider-Man story. Of um, and this would have been a whole lot of fun. What if nobody got bit by the radioactive spider? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> what if Peter went to you know went to the demonstration and yeah. did this and, and the spider scuttled away and somebody stepped on it? Right, and as the world was deprived of Spider-Man. Right, right. Yeah, and you know it, I, my my thing was you know was calling it Spider-Man Zero, and this one I can still remember because it never got done. But uh, but it was like well what happened what would happen is the burglar would still come to the Parker house. But it was Peter who would go down and surprise the burglar, and Peter would get shot. Oh, but not you know, not fatally enough to give you know, but enough to put him in the ICU okay. for six months and make him unable to work, walk without a walker for most of his life. Wow. So then, do you um, he, focus on Uncle Ben then? In, in that? Oh instance? no, uh, you know, I mean, what what actually happens is he, you know, Parker concentrates on his studies, graduates with honors, and starts going to work with for Tony Stark. Ah, very cool. And you know, Stark wants to bring him into the company um, at you know at a high level because he's you know because Parker is really brilliant um, and discovers that he can't because he because Peter Parker does not pass the uh, you know doesn't get a security clearance because of his parents. Oh, okay. Who are you know who yeah. are were condemned as traitors? Uh, you know, in their dealings with the Red Skull. Right. Ah. Oh. I won't go any further. No, no, that that's okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, that that'd be very hey, compelling. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I'll get. I'll I'll give you the one teaser just to. Just <laughs> okay. To shake. Cool. You know that Parker actually becomes the Green Goblin. Oh, nice. So wow. anyway, I, I I'll leave the details on <laughs> you, but you know that that's what that's one that if I ever you know if I ever went back to Marvel, that's what I'd do. Cool. Um, that would be awesome. Well, and that's the nice thing about what if is that if you if you ever had the chance to do this again, you don't need to have read all of the most recent stuff. Like what if can happen at, from any point. So yeah, yeah, let's throw that on the, on the table and and let it go. Right. And and you know look my my prejudice having been away from the, the business, you know, for a very long, you know, for, for Marvel for a very long time. 
is that I can say, no, let's start from the origin. Right. And I'm not, you know, hopelessly dated because, the, the, you know, the, the origin of all of the characters still survive. Nobody's forgotten them. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. Um, and they've done all sorts of variations on it. And, um, you know, even there, it might be fun, but it's kind of like I can I, I could still do the uh, Fantastic Four of the Rocket into Space or the Radioactive Spider or the Gamma Bomb or whatever, um, you know. Yeah. So not only are not forgotten, but everybody, you know, that people still know them. You know, so, um, so it wouldn't be inaccessible. Although, you know, necessarily, uh, you know, uh, if I start using the terrible tinkerer, you know, they might go, <laughs> what? Oh, come on. You know? so. Until he's a movie character and then you could use him and no one will and then everyone will apply you yeah. for it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. I appreciate you taking the time. I, I do want to say um, I, I don't know if there are any projects you are working on right now, but if you want to promote anything, you're more than welcome to. I will pump one thing. Sure. Okay. Um, at the beginning of the of the lockdown of, of you know of the pandemic um starting about march when i you know um, i decided to write a science fiction serial one episode a day on facebook right it's called humans and it's science fiction adventure and it was definitely designed to be fun yeah you know i didn't want to do anything ironic or depressing or about the pandemic and I ended up when it, I, I thought it was going to be, oh, 30, 40 chapters. And then, you know, the quarantine will be over. And, yeah, right. Well, <laughs> it ended up to be 191 daily chapters. Oh, man. Wow. And but it's a lot of fun. And it's all available for free on a, a website that I have. Okay. Yes, I have more than one website, but this is the one I'm going to tell you about. <laughs> um, and it's called counterfactual.news counterfactual.news. Yes. Okay. And uh, and humans is there in all its glory, all, you know, 188 chapters plus a prologue and an epilogue. Nice. I I've read a couple of your chapters on Facebook, but um, you know, it was you were already in the hundreds by that point. And so I I was like, I got it like I didn't want to scroll back to the very beginning. That's a long way. Yeah. So now that I know that there's a website, yeah, that's great. We can all go back to the beginning and enjoy it together. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And one of the things about doing it straight prose is I, I don't have any artists to slow me down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and well, uh, I did, a, a, you know, okay, here I am going on. But that's okay. I did a previous serial called The Romance of the Rose, and that was a weekly serial. And um, it was going to be 50, ep 50 episodes. It is 50 episodes, but uh, because it was weekly, I got my old friend Mark Badger to do an illustration for each episode. Oh, okay. And then, and, and then my publisher slash you know, host went into bankruptcy. So oh, no. it's not issue 30. And Mark, you know, who is, to my mind, you know, one of the most creative and original guys, you know, working in comics. Um, and we worked on Doctor Strange for, you know, for a brief period. He was able to keep up with me on a weekly thing. Great. <laughs> the daily episode? <laughs> no, yeah, right. No, but it, it, not, not, you know, not, not, not uh, Jack Kirby and John Grisebo would have just, you know, kicked me. Um, you know, but... <laughs> So, but, you know, it, it allowed me to just go. And I'm hoping that at some point, you know, we'll, you know, that I will be doing a Kickstarter to make it into a book, but it'll be a pretty big book, you know. Yeah. If you're, if you're into comics, you really should like this. That's my big plug. 
Okay. Well, thank yeah. you for sharing that. Uh, I hope the, the listeners out there will check that out because uh, the, the little bits that I've read have been a blast and I uh, it was all out of context. So I need to go and, and uh, read the rest of it. Thank you for sharing these stories with us about uh, about your time on What If, and I would love to pick your brain in the in in future about things like Doctor Strange and Micronauts and Eternals, especially with the movie coming up. So we'll have right. to schedule another time to chat. Sure. So no, that's fine. It was fun talking at you. 